nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hello, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing, and I am Leanne Meyer, your host. Um, I, I, you may have already realized that the title of our talk, topic today is called Nurses Care for Adults Sexually Abused as Children. Uh, this topic, this is a topic that's close to my heart for several reasons. One, I know people who uh, were in this situation in their childhood. Two, I am someone who has worked on myself for years in therapy, so I have a pretty good idea of just how painful it is to share these experiences and try to work through them. And three, most importantly, I grew up a Catholic. There were many things in my experience in a Catholic school education that confused me and perhaps I didn't agree with, but I never felt unsafe in any situation connected to the school or the church, never even a thought of such a thing until people started coming forward to confess and protest the treatment they received at the hands of clergy. When I saw them ridiculed and called liars or worse, I was horrified. It wasn't until these horrendous secrets began to emerge, and for me that was around the time of the Boston Globe's stoplight news coverage, uh, did I have an inkling of the scope and depth of this problem in America and in the world, and the level of cover-up. Today, I am speaking with Charlene Nimi, a nurse who has spent a great deal of her career studying this problem, including doing her PhD dissertation on the topic and working with some of these adults, now dealing with the reality of this most horrendous experience. Dr. Nimi, could you uh, say hello and uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into nursing and what brought you to this particular work? Yes. Uh, hi, Leanne. I graduated with a Bachelor's of Science and my Master's of Science in Nursing from Mount St. Mary's um, University. My PhD is from Azusa Pacific. And when I, I, my career background has been always working in mental health, mental illness, and in community health. I've always worked with the vulnerable populations. And when I would see a child in a psychiatric setting that had been sexually abused, we would help them work through it. Many times, very horrific crimes being done to them. When an adult comes into an inpatient psychiatric setting, very little is discussed. Most of these are short-term stays, but very little is discussed. It's almost as if that history of their childhood, which may have played a huge impact on why they are in a psychiatric hospital as an adult, is no longer discussed. It's almost as if it's forgotten. And I think that started my, my calling to reach out to, to this type of population. And then now, actually, in the fall, I am starting a psychiatric nurse practitioner program at California State University in Long Beach so that I can work more closely on a one-to-one basis with those that have experienced this type of trauma. Wow. I'm looking forward to where my career takes me. I'm in my 
early 60s, and I'm still um, have no plans of stopping anytime. Yeah. Well, it's uh, one of the things I think that, you know, in nursing, we worry about physical aspects of can we continue being a nurse. But when you're dealing with a psychological element, I think there is less physical pressure on the nurse and able to continue for a much longer time. At least I hope that for you. Um, yes. Well, I'll, I'll be using my little walker as I get room. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so um, one of the things when we were talking before, you mentioned that you had been in a parish that had experienced um, priest abuse. Do you want to just talk a little about that and when you found out about it? Um, I grew up in somewhat a well-to-do area uh, in a town called uh, uh, Westlake Village. It's located in Southern California. And our neighborhood parish, and I didn't know this growing up, but our neighborhood parish actually had a priest that had abused 13 altar boys uh, between the years of 1973 and 1984. Uh, When it was found that he was abusing boys at my parish, he was then sent to a lower social economic area where more uh, boys were abused, and then when that was found out, they actually moved him to a large medical center in Southern California to be the chaplain, to kind of remove him from access from the kids. And it mm-hmm. really wasn't until I started my dissertation studies and doing research on it that I discovered that this priest had been at my parish. And, and I can remember growing up as a teenager and having been a little rebellious in nature and my parents saying, oh, you should talk to this priest because he's very mm. charismatic, all the kids like him. And mm-hmm. in hindsight, looking back, I kind of wonder, was that the priest? Was he so good at grooming uh-huh. the within the parish and the teenagers? You know, because grooming is how they get their foot into the door. Sure. Um, if he wasn't kind of able to trick everyone into what he was, you know, based on that. Yeah. I think that's part of the scariness of this is it's um, common for people to invite their priest or maybe their chaplain or clergy, um, whatever um, denomination they belong to, you know, to come to their house and meet my family. And, you know, all of those kinds of things is not unusual at all. And then you hear this story again and again and again that, um, he was able to do that right in front of the parents, even though um, he was abusing their child. Many so, times the priest was raping the child while the parents were home. Because oh the gosh. priest has, I mean, that my research is on priests, and I was very focused and specific on just doing priests and not deacons or clergy mm-hmm. from other religions. Because that's my, I mean, I grew up Catholic, so and I'm still mm-hmm. actually Catholic. But the that grooming that takes place, that trust that's there, the priest mm-hmm. is represents Christ on earth. He's the icon mm-hmm. of Christ on earth. And many of these young boys were altar servers. And the hope, I can remember growing up and my grandmother saying, the mom goes to heaven if her son becomes a priest. Uh, yeah. and, and I don't know if that I don't know where my grandmother came up with that idea. She must have been told that when she was growing up herself. And so I think many mm-hmm. families, and still, and, and, and I think it is a calling, but at the same time, people were not aware. They had no idea that was, mm-hmm. this was going on. And many times when these kids came forward, they were not believed. Sometimes they were, some were not. Yeah, mostly not. It's 
far as I've heard. But one of the things I want to mention here is that this is certainly not all priests and certainly not all clergy. Um, Across the country, there are so many fantastic people who have uh, devoted their life to a career that is certainly not a difficult, I mean, not an easy choice um, to follow and have helped you know, phenomenal numbers of people. So I want to make that, you know, really clear. This is not, um, uh, even though we hear about it a fair amount now, it's probably mostly because these stories have not been talked about and now all of a sudden they're being talked about Mm -hmm. at one time. And I think that's really important too because there are very good men and women that, you know, that donate their lives to helping others. And about 4 to 6% of priests, um, are cons- or, uh, were abusers, and so back in oh, about maybe seven, eight years ago, a big study was done and that came out about 4% of priests were abusers. That's close to 4,400 priests that were abusing out of, mm-hmm. you know, at the time there were over 11, you know, uh, 100,000 men that were priests, and so out of sure. that number, about uh, 4,500 were abusers, so... Yeah, so tell me, when you started actually working with these gentlemen, uh, was this uh, in a treatment setting, or was this uh, for your dissertation? Um, I originally started because of the dissertation. And so it was breaking new ground. I had worked with survivors of child sexual abuse on an inpatient setting. I have reported it as a registered nurse. We are mandated reporters. And so I had reported suspected child abuse, including child sexual abuse throughout my career. Uh, But specifics working with men that were sexually abused by Catholic priests started when I uh, began my dissertation studies. Okay. I started it first. It's almost, but even though that just you know happened somewhat recently, I think my career and my life was kind of gearing up towards that subject. Uh, mm-hmm. We were in Boston when the Globe broke their story. We mm-hmm. had a priest in my parish that was abusing kids. I can remember going to a woman's retreat uh, probably about twenty years ago, and in back of the retreat house, it was at, actually at one of the California missions. In the back was a minor seminary, and for those that don't know, a minor seminary was set up for high school um, young for boys, high school boys that were considering becoming priests. And it was a high school; they lived there, and it had been vacant for many years. And there was a priest; he was an artist, and so he was allowed to stay there, continue with his artwork. And he was an older gentleman, and. I love to talk to new people, and I love to go into places to to just look at them. And he gave me a private tour of this minor seminary. And there was a section that was very dark and creepy. And I expressed how I felt just walking through this one section. Mm -hmm. And he started to talk about the abuse that went on there. Hundreds of boys were sexually abused at this minor seminary. And so now jumped to my study talking to a man that had been abused there, and he, he was telling me how he was surprised that this priest actually opened up to me because it was something that this priest did not, he was not one of the men that abused, but he was there when it was going on, and it was still very difficult for him to talk about. So, uh-huh. so I find my so- life kind of 
circling the drain, so to speak, until I actually started the study. Yeah, it's sort of mystic how those things happen. That which we need to be doing just appears for us. And then as you look back, it's like, well, it didn't just appear. There's, there no, was a yeah. whole link, linkage. That's kind of how it worked for me with this show. Um, is there a commonality in the, the stories that these adult men t- talk about? Um, that's kind of been my sense when I've listened to various different stories. There seems to be a pattern that the predators uh, do, and is that something you're hearing from these adult men? Yes. Um, I think, as I mentioned before, I think um, a lot of them were altar servers. Many of them, their families were very active in the church. Mm-hmm. Many of them, I think the fathers were, you know, busy working and, and doing, um, you know, whatnot. Uh, with that, they gained access to the family and to the child through grooming. Many times they befriended the family, especially if the child was uh, younger. Um, they offered, um, as the grooming progressed, the boys were offered movies, sleepovers, um, to kind of gain the trust. And mm-hmm. I think uh, so many times it was not outright rape to begin with. These These young men were actually groomed. They were... Mm-hmm. They were targeted. Their families were targeted for a variety of reasons. In Which is even sense, more horrendous when yeah. you, you know, try to recover from this. And it must be a sense of what did I do that caused this, that I must be responsible. And I'm sure the predators maybe encouraged that kind of thinking. Well, and they were told, nobody will believe you. I'm the priest. You can't tell other people. Uh, one man was told, I'll do it to your younger brother. Um, so you can't tell anyone. Most of the men were abused, and this kind of follows through with the, the major research that's been done, occurred between the years of uh, ages of 11 and 14, so pre-puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next age group, it would be between 6 and 10 years of old, although it happened, you know, uh, with uh, one year, less than one-year-olds also. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the amount of time, like the time, was anywhere from a few years to many years, Mm-hmm. And the frequency of the abuse ranged from three to ten times um, up to eleven to twenty-five times. The abuse that occurred covered a gamut of different um, abuse, from invitation to uh, a request to do something sexual to looking at pornographic magazines. I think it's one man I spoke with. He says, "I, I don't know if I can take your study. The priest never touched me." So mm-hmm. I needed to explain to him my definition of abuse, and that was so the what was happening is that the priest he would get the boys to tell them tell him his their sexual fantasies, and mm-hmm. that was a way that the priest was um, getting you know was abusing abusing the child mm-hmm. so any type of behavior that gets sexual gratification to the abuser um and all the way to rape the average uh, types of abuse were about four to five different types um, of abuse was committed. And that's, that was shown in my study and then also kind of on a nationwide study that was done uh, several years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wonder about is you mentioned that this was often done pre-puberty, so physical size, not at a point where they would be able to do anything to protect themselves. 
and um, probably emotional and uh, intellectual. You know, again, like you said, this is the representation of Christ in their community, and their parents are lauding, you know, this person is, you know, uh, uh, go and talk to this priest if you have any problems, and he will help you out. And I can only imagine. So, but there's more than um, just the psych- the the psychological aspect of it. There's also a physical uh, damage that can be done. And do you want to talk about that at all? Let me just kind of go back because it was kind of interesting. It's a good uh, you brought up something about the age of the abuse and right. you know they targeted um, pre-puberty because. The um, less chance of being kind of fought against, and and I just I just want to talk about myths because that is actually one of of the myths that that once you reach a certain age you can fight back, uh. and it, that is not necessarily true. And I think that as we look at the myths between men and boys being sexually abused and women sexually abused. Um, I, oh, oh, let me just kind of go back. So I was in New Orleans. I was at a conference, and a group of women went to dinner. And one of the women was in her 20s. And so we were, she was going to catch an Uber in New Orleans and to get back to where she was staying. And we were, the group of us were walking. And mm-hmm. so she was, she said, I'm fine. You don't need to wait with me. The Uber's on its way. I'll be fine. I can take care of myself. And the mother instinct of me came out and said, mm-hmm. no, we'll stay. And one of the people with me said, you know, she's a woman. We do need to stay. If it were a man, we would not need to stay. Uh-huh. And, I, and I disagreed with the group because men can be sexually abused also. And in fact, mm-hmm. there are men that are on my Facebook page that have been sexually abused multiple times as grown men. Really? And so I think the myth is, is that, well, I can fight it off. Now, I can remember being in high school and at a dance, and a van pulling up, and all the girls kind of got nervous when the van door opened up, and there was a bunch of guys in the car, and mm. they dragged one of the guys with us in the van and raped him. Uh, oh, my gosh. And so I just kind of, if you don't mind, could I just kind of talk about myths yes, real fast? Yes, that's what I was just okay. going to say. I'm betting there are a lot more myths that uh, we aren't aware of. Um, uh, one of the myths is that uh, boys can't be sexually abused. If he is, he's not, never a real man. And these Oof. myths come from an organization called One in Six. And, and people can look that up, oneinsix.org. They do a lot of work on men that have been sexually abused, both as children and as adults. Um, another myth is if a boy experienced sexual arousal during abuse, he wanted it or enjoyed it, and if he did... Uh, then the sexual abuse was his fault. And I think that's uh, a very large myth. Sexual abuse is less harmful to boys than to girls. Um, Not true. Um, uh, Most men who are sexually abused as boys are gay. Sexual abuse um, is an assault. It's not a sexual relationship. And um, boys abused by males must have attracted the abuse because they are gay or they are becoming gay as a result. And I think that is actually something that uh, men somewhat struggle with if they were abused as a boy. Right. Um, not only are these the myths that other people think, but many times these are myths that they struggle with, kind mm-hmm. of understanding themselves that that's not true. 
Sure. Um, another myth is the lucky boy myth. Uh, if a female is a if a female uses a boy or abused a boy, he's like the old elbow in the in the ribs. Oh, you're so lucky. Um, right. And if he doesn't feel that way, that there's something wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think uh, one of the most difficult myths, and I think if people were really kind of sat back and were honest with themselves, I think we would realize that we do have some of these myths, and that stops, I think, men from coming forward and talking about their abuse. But the vampire myth is that the boys who are sexually abused will go on to abuse others. And I think that as nurses or any time we are dealing with a population such as this is that we really have to check our prejudices and our biases and our myths at the door before we go in and talk to our patients because we have to allow our patients to be who they are. Charlene, we need to take a break here. Let's come back to that uh, subject. If you're just tuning in now, we this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. We're talking about nurses caring for adults sexually abused as children. I'm here with Dr. Charlene Nemi, and we have been talking about all aspects of uh, clergy and um Well, mainly, I guess, clergy abuse of men. So please join us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and we're returning to a very interesting and serious topic here with my guest, Dr. Charlene Nemi, and our topic today is nurses caring for adults sexually abused as children. We were just uh, discussing myths uh, that come up and things that are even held, um, you know, by people who are in the business of taking care of of, um, uh, some of the the men, particularly, because that's what Charlene has been studying, uh, who have been in this situation. So um, could you tell us, Charlene, a little bit more about what nurses need to be watching for and, uh, you know, where they might be encountering men that would be wanting to talk about this? Uh, I think it's important. There's different statistics out there about the the ratio of people that have been abused uh, physically, you know, uh, sexually, either as a child or as an adult, and so. But I'm going to give you some of the, the the larger studies that have been done. So, one in six women are thought to be victims of attempts or completed rapes, and one in 33 men have been victims of attempts or completed rapes. And I think so that if we were to look at our careers over our lifetime, the chances that as nurses we've come in contact with men and women, for that matter, that have been victims mm-hmm. of assault like this. I think it's something that we always need to, to keep in mind. And I know that, um, obviously, you know, the risk of depression, anxiety, suicide mm-hmm. are all possibilities with somebody that has been sexually abused, especially as a child. But also we have to, and so we see those types of patients in inpatient psych settings. One in four people are thought to have a mental illness of some kind. And so... Um, emergency rooms, psychiatric settings, outpatient clinics, any time that we deal with patients, but um, also the medical issues that occur from the sexual abuse, um, heart disease, cancer, any time there is long-time stress on a body, it does affect uh, the physical body, physical aspects. And so as nurses, when we are giving someone a bed bath, when we are putting someone on a bedpan when we are becoming nurses are the only ones that can actually do this with a patient and it's not thought odd. And Mm -hmm. so I think that as nurses, we really need to be mindful of a person's privacy because we have no idea what their story is when they come Mm -hmm. to us and they put themselves in our hands. And so I think that's, that's really important. Um, I think that, uh, when I was doing another talk, I sent uh, suggestions out to my Facebook page about what men wanted me to talk about. And some of the, the issues, and this would have to do with nurses coming in contact with those that have been abused, is grooming. Um, the impo- that, we under- that we have to understand the involvement of grooming in these survivors and how they were manipulated into what was going on 
and the lifetime of mental illness, uh, mental health issues that many of these survivors take. Um, it's not reported. Boys and men do not come out and report it as frequently as women do. I think women have been given the permission to come out more with the Me Too movement. But one survivor said, in his opinion, many boys and men still live in silence. The average time of delayed dis- disclosure, many men will, will go years, 30, 40 years with even before they can even talk about it. One thing that as I started talking to people looking for survivors or I give this talk to others, how many times, almost every single time, I will have at least one person say, I knew somebody that was sexually abused as a child Mm -hmm. or I myself was sexually Mm -hmm. abused as a child. That hurt that occurs can last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that one man told me it was the silence that was actually killing him. And so mm-hmm. what, as nurses, do we do as someone expresses that this has happened? Do we wall off? Are we afraid to talk about it? What's in our history? Do we fold our arms across our chest and say, I'll get the doctor, I'll get the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. I'll get the chaplain, so mm-hmm. that I can kind of withdraw myself from it? I think that... I think people, especially men, it's my opinion, that, that if they're sexually abused as, child, as a child, that hand that pushes them away from telling their story, like men can't be abused, right? Um, or you must have wanted it, those myths that we talked about, that hand that goes up. Um, and when we cross our arms and like are afraid to deal with something, we are doing that to them in a very vulnerable position for them. Um, I think, too, is that one thing that I dealt with is that because I'm Catholic, I understood the religion. I understand the relationship of the priest to the community. Um, I have two sons that were altar servers growing up. So I understood the culture. I understood what it meant. And many times when I talk to people about the abuse, they come up with like this anti Catholic, anti-religion kind of thing. I've been told, well, what did you expect? Of course it was going on. They abuse, all priests abuse. I was actually told by a hairdresser that, um, well, uh, you know, priests believe in homosexual marriages. They're all married secretly. And I thought to myself, I didn't know that. (laughs) And they probably Uh, didn't know that either. (laughs) And I think that that bias against, that we have against any segment of society or any religion, I think, pulls that wall, shuts that door to allow us to talk about something openly. And the abuse goes on. Many men that were abused by pastors or by rabbis mm -hmm. wanted to be part of my study. And I I just did Catholic priests. And so it would have been been such a large... Uh, group that it would have been probably impossible to to really do justice to it. Right. Um, talk again. So you're saying what nurses should not do. What should they do? I think they should be open to the possibility of allowing a patient to talk. Um, during before the show started, we were actually talking about one of the large universities in Southern California has just come out. They've just come out in the news that the physician at the health um, services office was uh, sexually abusing female students. And nurses were constantly complaining about this being done 
by this uh, doctor to these uh, young female students, and nothing was changing. They weren't, the school was, university was not doing anything at all. It was a registered nurse that actually went to the rape crisis center and said, this has been going on. And at that point, uh, that's when it stopped. And so I think as nurses, we really need to be the voice for the vulnerable population. If someone opens up to us, we need to be willing to listen. And mm-hmm. we are mandated reporters. And we do need to to speak up and be that voice. um, And I think sometimes nurses think of that in terms of children and maybe older, elderly adults. But I don't know that we always think of it in terms of especially a male adult where we would think, well, he can stand up for himself. Right, right, right. And that's just like, you know, in that uh, scenario of New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that he can be able to stand up for himself, and that's and that's just not necessarily true. So, and I think you know, having worked psych uh, for so many years inpatient, is that you know, if someone did say that they were sexually abused or physically abused as a child, that is a reportable crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we do do need to report that. That brings up the legal aspects, and I know through the Me Too movements, some of the women have been talking about, you know, that it was such a secret or that it was so um, horrendous to them or that they absolutely believed they would not be um, taken seriously, that it's years, like you had mentioned, 30 to 40 years before somebody actually comes forward. So I know our laws have um, a maximum time that you can uh, come forward, and how does that impact that varies state to state, unfortunately, and I know that um, some of the bigger organizations, the Catholic Church being one of them, are really trying to stop that. So, and in fact, you know, uh, at the end we're going to talk about uh, what I have for my future plans. And one of them is that actually research states that are looking at that statute of limitation on, you know, uh, um, how far, you know, so let's say I was abused when I was. 12, and I'm now, you know, 61, well, that time period is too far. And so mm-hmm. that person that abused me as a kid, hypothetically abused me as a kid, they can't go to trial. And I know there's a lot of states right now that are working on changing that so that mm-hmm. no matter what time, of the time, the time period between the abuse and when it's reported is that the abuse is the abuse. And I think that's really important mm-hmm. for people to have a voice in that um, so that the person can actually do some time. I I think something that recently happened that kind of took me by surprise was uh, in all these discussions now about the um, physician that was working with the Olympic uh, girls. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the girls spoke about the fact that there had been over 200, something like 300 abuses that he had committed before she was born. And still she was abused. So I think it comes back to, and especially as some of these um, abusers get older, you think, oh, well, they're too old to do any harm now. So what difference does it make? But that's not necessarily true. No, it's not. I mean, it's just... You know, for me, having kind of started this research maybe four years ago total, but to see it, like, it's almost, it seems like it's everywhere. It's in every sector of society for, it's, it's disgusting. It's, it's yeah. very dark times, I think. It's good that it's coming out, hopefully that there yeah. will be change. Yeah. But, you know, one of the men that I spoke to was abused 
uh, in Los Angeles. So, as as a young adult, uh, as a young as a child, his he, the priest was sent to the Philippines, I believe it was, right, and to get him out of the country so mm-hmm. he wouldn't be charged. And so, and then he was given he's like you know a bishop or something there, mm-hmm. and so they won't bring him back to the states, you know. The, the country that he's at won't bring him back. And it's like, so, mm-hmm. you know, we may be, you know, changing things slowly in the United States, but what's happening in some of these other countries or in these smaller areas of the United States? I mean, right. Mexico, you know, if you watch uh, Spotlight, you know, at the very end of that movie, it, you know, it's just screen after screen of all the different cities and countries that the abuse mm-hmm. has taken, that, you know, it occurred. Yeah. And, um, Just in case yeah. somebody might think, oh, well, that happened in Boston, but it could never happen here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> um, I just had a thought, and it went right out of my brain. Um, you had mentioned the term murderous souls. Is that something murderous we should souls. come back after the break? Yes. Yes, that would be great. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think maybe we will even go a little bit early since this is kind of a nice place to break. And then we'll come back and talk some more about this topic. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer. I'm here with Dr. Charlene Nimi, and she has been studying uh, sexual abuse of children and men as adults. And um, so we will come back after the break and talk some more. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Yes, we are back. This is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. We're talking today about nurses who care for adults sexually abused as children, and I'm talking with Dr. Charlene Nemi. When we went on break, we were just uh, mentioning the stoplight movie, and at the end of the movie, they showed all of the pictures and um, commented on all the different cities, not just in the country, but in all countries. Um, so, Charlene, could you just mention that briefly? Is there any country that's not impacted? In, I mean, I haven't really done a lot of research on different countries, but it is my mm-hmm. belief, and I'm sure that many survivors would agree with me, is that it's happened everywhere. Mm-hmm. Some countries perhaps more than others, but I think it happened everywhere. And the sad okay. part is, is that many times these men were moved from parish to parish, you know, country to country. Right, and, exactly. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't told. I want to briefly talk about that murder of souls also yes. because yes. of who the priest is in relationship to the religion is that, it murdered the soul of the survivor, and I think that's somewhat mm-hmm. unique with uh, any type of clergy abuse. But the Catholic priest, uh, because the, the um, Christ on earth, the icon. So, yeah. So let's talk about um, where are we going with these um, these individuals? Is the is there something we're trying to get to an outcome? My study actually looked at um, the role forgiveness played with. Originally, my study wanted to look at meaning of life, resiliency, and forgiveness. On, As a nurse, I want to find out what helps people, and I think what intervention can I use to assist somebody to uh, get well. And so I didn't want to focus on the harm that was done. Uh, these survivors know there's been a lot of research done on psychological trauma that it can cause from physical, tra- you know, physical consequences, psychological consequences. I wanted to focus on um, what would help. And so I didn't have enough participants to do such a large study, so I kind of just focused it on the aspect of forgiveness, looking at the absence of anger. Uh, absence of anger, do I carry around that anger? Very difficult to let go, and I think people go through cycles, uh, as we all do when we are, feel that we've been um, abused physically or, or mentally or anything like that, to having a positive regard for the abuser, not, not, not making friends with, not getting buddy-buddy with that person again, but, um, you know, whatnot. And there have been men that were able to achieve that, but but when I was going for my dissertation, there were faculty at the university that said forgiveness is not an inference. It's not nursing related. Um, mm-hmm. Forgiveness is not a nursing intervention. Um, you're on the right, wrong path. And so, for my my dissertation committee said this is what she wants to do. This is what she can do. And so I'm very grateful for the professors for allowing me to to do that. But forgiveness is an aspect. Uh, it is a nursing and helping a person go through forgiveness is an intervention 
that nurses, we can help a person through. And I think as nurses, we tend to think that all we can do is that um, those task-oriented uh, interventions, and that's not right. the case. We, um, right. we are m- so much more than that. So. I think that there could be people out there hearing, uh, you know, to have um, forgiving feelings toward the perpetrator seems like uh, unbelievable and, and not something you'd want to do. But really, the forgiveness is about yourself, the healing yes. for yourself. Yeah. Um, I would imagine if you, if you can't forgive the perpetrator, it's pretty hard to forgive yourself, too. Well, and I think, too, it's that, you know... It's almost as if they're being people are being abused over and over and over again, and I think it's more of a letting go um, and being able to move on with your life. I talked to a sister of someone of a man that had committed suicide, and and she kept telling him, "You have to let go of that anger; it's killing you." Mm-hmm. And it, it it literally did. So um, many survivors, and it's very difficult for me. I'm, I'm not not saying that the forgiveness has to come. I'm not saying that, you know, they need to have that to, um, that's what my research is meant to find out if it does help. And Mm -hmm. so, like I said, the study has opened back up very, very difficult uh, for people. So does, how does the abuse affect one's intimacy, their meaning in life, um, their ability Mm -hmm. to navigate their environment, all these things are, uh, I'm looking at all of these things in relationship mm-hmm. to the types of abuse and then how does forgiveness play a, play a role in that. So we'll see. How about, one, one thing I guess I was wondering is when they do come out and they start talking about it and maybe seek to get some help for it, then what happens with like their parents, uh, perhaps their, their current spouse, their children, what are some of the impacts on them? Do you know? I think that that is a forgotten part of the pain. Mm-hmm. And I've met with a father, he was in his 80s, of someone abused. I've met with family members. Um, one man, uh, before he would do my study, I talked to him and his wife. It was, um, it was almost as if she had to kind of know that I was a safe person to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, that I would not cause any more harm. Mm-hmm. Um, someone on Facebook actually expressed that she had been married to a man that had been sexually abused as a child, and there was nothing for her to read on what mm-hmm. she could do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we talked a little bit about my future, and so that's actually going to be not going to be an academic book. It's not going to be in a journal, but it's going to be more for a book on the loved ones of survivors of any type of uh, clergy abuse, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do they have to say to their loved one that had been abused, perhaps things that they've never expressed before. Uh, that will be the first part. And the second part will be um, how can, if I am a spouse or loved one of someone that had been a, a man that had been abused, what can I tell another loved one of a survivor? What from my mm-hmm. wisdom, kind of like that 12-step, right? Kind of, right. Idea. what can I do to help another one that is going through this with their loved one? Um, and so that's, that's something that I plan on working on uh, starting over the summer. So, Yeah. I keep coming back to, you know, the aspect that everyone wants to be heard and everyone wants to be respected. Yes. And those yes. seem to be the two things. If we can always bear in mind, am I being, am I really listening to this person in front of me? 
and am I being respectful? Would they say I'm being respectful to them? Um, are the two things that always come back. And that's basically what I've, yes. I mean, you put in a sentence what I've just spent like 40 minutes (laughs) talking about. (laughs) Yes. And you talk about the role of nurses. That's it right there. Mm -hmm. You know, I am a college health nurse also, so I just do about uh, a couple of hours a week. And, you know, and I think most of us as nurses, when we're busy, you know, we'll ask a patient a question. And Mm -hmm. while the patient has given us the answer, I'm already formulating the next question that I'm going to ask when I haven't even listened to the first answer. Yeah, or we assume because we hear so many similar answers that when they start off on a track, we think we've already heard it and we already know what they're going to say. And so we miss yeah. when it diverges into a place that we need to be aware of. I think that's a, a good point for nurses to keep in mind. Yes, yes. And, and that's, you know, and uh, most nurses are very busy. And so I think that's really hard for them to be focused. One thing that I heard, oh my gosh, it was a, a conference that I attended. And so it was on, you know, washing your hands between patients, right? And sure. giving what you said, being present for your patient. And so he was a CNO of a large medical um, facility here in, in uh, California. And, and what they did at their hospital is that after you saw your patient, you washed your hands, and mm. you didn't sing like that the happy birthday song or whatever it is that we teach our nursing students. Right. And instead, hmm? I, I said right. I'm just agreeing right. with yeah. that we, yeah. we do teach our nurses that. Yeah, it's like some magic thing. But what, he, what their nurses did is that they, they thought about the patient they were leaving to make sure they provided the utmost care that they possibly could, and they were washing their hands thinking about how they could be present for the patient they were about to see. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa, that's what we need to do when we yeah. are washing our hands. So, Okay, going forward, that's what I'm going to teach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Much, much better use of one's time. The, uh, what I thought you might be going to say is that the person who was washing their hands was maybe giving the impression that they had to that that person was dirty or some way that they had to wash. I think people are much more aware now with all the, um, uh, you know, uh, with the, all the gels and all the different things uh, on the walls that, that that's what nurses and doctors do going in and out of the room. But I think that um, that can be a problem if a patient isn't aware of that. Why is he washing his hands leaving me, you know? Right, yes. And instead, yeah. we should be educating our patients to the importance of hand washing, they need, which yeah. they need to do. We just got off subject. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> How easy. We were just talking about that, that we <laughs> both have that uh, tendency to do that. So back to um, the topic here. We've got um, about five minutes or so. Okay. And... Um, yeah, so you had started to talk about what your plans are for the future. Um, I'd also like to know, do you know what changes are happening, like anything in the Catholic Church? Is there anything legally that's starting to move forward? What, what because of all this coming out for the last how many years, um, what, do, what do we know has changed? I think... Um you know, whether or not all the dioceses and archdioceses are doing it, I think there's a much stricter um, screening process um, before someone goes into the priesthood. Mm-hmm. I think that that's also very, very important. I think they're doing much more uh, comprehensive background checks now. 
I know there's a, a greater screening process, so I think they're looking more carefully at that. Um, uh, no child now is to be um, left alone with anyone, mm-hmm. uh, an adult, uh, by themselves. Um, there have been supposed to be windows. This is in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. the same in other parts of the world. Uh, country, I should say, is that windows are supposed to be put on the confessionals uh, so that really? people can come by and look in. Um, again, that's I know that's happening in Los Angeles. Uh, and so I think that's really important to also... Um, so hopefully there's adults are supposed to be going through training on what to look for. Um, I think, however... I, I, you know, and the, the churches are supposed to report to mm-hmm. law enforcement if any um, allegations come out. I think that's what's been happening in Pennsylvania, however, is that, you know, this has been in place for many years now and that uh, there are still parts of the country that are not following through with that. And so my hope is is that um, more... more um, stop gaps, more things can be done to protect the kids in the future. So I've got one last, one, yeah. one last question for you as we're getting near to the end here. Um, I asked you in the beginning what brought you to this work, and I'm wondering what keeps you in this work. We've got about a minute. Oh, my gosh. Um, the need. I think that when a person gets a topic that they're really interested in, it's hard to put it aside. Yeah. I have met amazing people and um, through this process, and it's been an honor and a privilege to be part of it. So. Yeah. It's that old thing that uh, opportunities are cleverly disguised as impossible situations, yeah. um, and that's been my experience. So many times we want to keep our kids or our loved ones away from difficult things, and yet it is those very, very difficult things that we help each other work through that make us um, better and stronger people. Uh, I guess it can go either way, but your hope is that we can help people. As nurses, I hope that every nurse is thinking in terms of how can I turn what is presenting to me as a horrendous situation, how do I turn it around to help this person get whatever it is that they need to be able to move on with their life. So we've come to the end of this um, segment, and I really want to thank you, uh, Charlene, for doing this with me. This has been very, very informative and helpful. And um, so just... Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's one of the most, easily the most serious topic that I've had on the show, but I really want to let you know, I'm or let the listeners know, I am really open to doing other shows like this. If you know of anything like this, please let me know. Uh, This is Leanne Meyer. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I hope you will continue to um, come back and listen to more and share with me whatever topics and ideas you have to um, continue to make the show great. Thank you so much, and thank you, um, Charlene. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.